Father, we want to praise you for your grace and mercy to us in Jesus. Lord, I thank you that um, you are holy, which means that nothing imperfect is part of your character and nothing imperfect can be in your presence. But God, that's not good news for us as imperfect, broken people. And so we praise you for Jesus. We thank you that he took our life and, and, and Father, he lived the life we couldn't live, a perfect life of obedience and he died a death that we should have died as a payment for our sin and he rose again three days later so that not only would he display his power over death, sin, and hell, he also would give that power to us as we trust in him. And so we come to you, holy God, praising you for the work of Jesus that makes us holy. Father, we love you and praise you in that. And Lord, I pray that not only would you speak to us in your word today, that Father, I pray you would speak to um, all of your people who are gathered in the name of Jesus today. Lord, I pray for those who are gathered at the house at Palm Bay, this church that's led by Ken Delgado. Lord, I pray that Ken would be filled with the power of your spirit and the knowledge of your word. And may they know and love and live and proclaim the one and only gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray they'd be encouraged today and empowered for your mission and your glory. Lord, I also pray for my good buddy, uh, Jim Johnson, preaching three times today. Lord, I pray you would sustain him and his body as he's fighting uh, lymphoma, God, I, I ask that you would bring about his healing, and I also pray you would strengthen him today, God, as he, uh, as he preaches your word. I know he loves that, and we love when you use him to preach your word. So, God, I ask that he would be renewed today as well. Lord, we love you and bless you, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen, amen. So, go ahead and take your Bibles, turn to Ruth chapter 2, Ruth chapter 2. Last week, we began a uh, study in the book of Ruth and, and Pastor Fayez, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, Dr. Ayub, uh, I, I, I apologize. I know you've told me over and over again, it's Dr. Ayub. Um, he did an incredible job getting us started in the study of this book. And Pastor Fayez in week one led us through the first chapter of Ruth. And what, it, what we did in that first chapter is, is we were introduced to three widows uh, who were living in relationship with one another, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. And what we find is that Naomi was a woman who had grown up in Israel uh, in a, a town called Bethlehem. And, and she'd grown up there. And, and during a time of famine, she and her husband and their family went off to a neighboring nation. Actually, it was an enemy nation, uh, a nation that worshiped other gods and opposed God's people in Israel. But they, they went there because they were looking for food, um, not necessarily obedience to God, but, but looking for food. And while they're in Moab, uh, Naomi's two sons marry two Moabite girls. And that was also against not only the traditions, but the law of God. God had commanded his people, don't take wives from these neighboring nations because they love and serve other gods and they'll lead you to serve other gods as well. And so here they are outside of, of God's protective care in their life. And you find that in that scene where uh, Naomi and her, her sons and her daughters-in-law, they're living in Moab, that tragedy strikes them. And, and, and Naomi's husband and her two sons are tragically killed. And so here left in the aftermath of that are these three widow women. And they're in a field in Moab Naomi hears that the famine is over in Israel and it, and it sparks something in her heart. Maybe, maybe she can find food if she goes back to Israel. So she starts to head out to Israel and before she leaves, she tells her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, you guys go back to your families. There's nothing 
for you in Israel. I've got nothing to give you. I've got nothing to promise you. And Orpah goes back with her family, but in that stirring little scene there in Ruth chapter one, you find that Ruth makes this pledge to Naomi. And it's that that kind of stirring moment. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you live, I'll live. Where you die, I'll die and be buried there. That beautiful promise that she makes to her mother-in-law. And so these two widow women go back and they finally get to this town called Bethlehem. And chapter one ends by saying it was the very beginning of barley harvest. And that's where we're gonna pick up this morning is two widows here in Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest Um, And we'll see what happens in their lives. I want you to know, I had initially planned on going all the way through um, chapter two this morning. Um, I should have known better. We will get probably the better part of two verses covered in our time together today, okay? So we're gonna try to do this. By God's grace, we'll look at the rest of chapter two next week. But let's begin reading here in verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's uh, so it's not related by blood to Naomi, it's, it's through marriage, a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, which was her deceased husband's name, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now stop right there. That verse there in Ruth 2, it's there to be kind of like a, a, a narrator's voice in a movie or a story that we'd watch. This isn't something that Ruth knows. She, she's not aware of this fact. She doesn't know who Boaz is. She hasn't met him yet. She doesn't know what's gonna take place but the author of this book under the inspiration of God's spirit moves us to see that there's this man and and here's what, what this is saying. There's a man coming up and he's a worthy man. You need to know this. This guy, Boaz, he's a worthy man. That word worthy is a word that that originally meant a mighty warrior and it came to mean a a person of high character and high standing and and of great worth. Sometimes it was it was financial wealth, sometimes it was social influence. It was kind of all of those things wrapped into one. This is this is a pillar of the community. And so the author is saying, hey guys, you're going to want to know this because you wouldn't know it otherwise. There's a guy getting ready to enter this story. I know it's about three widows so far, but there's a guy coming up. There's a dude on the horizon and he's a good guy and something great is going to happen. So file that away. We're going to get back to Boaz in just a little bit, but look at verse two. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she, Naomi, said to her, go, my daughter. Stop right there. Now remember, remember this scene. Ruth and Naomi are both widows. Remember what that would mean. That would mean they basically have nothing to their name. They're hungry. That's why they came back to Israel. They're hurting, grieving the loss of husbands that had passed away in a foreign land. Last week we saw Naomi is so far gone down this road of hurt and pain that she's pretty much given up all hope at this point in her life. And then one morning, Ruth wakes up and and, and she says, okay, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go out. It's the beginning of grain harvest. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go out to these, these fields and see if I can get some food for us. And then verse two reminds us once again that Ruth is a Moabite. So, so if you had forgotten from chapter one and all the times it said it there, chapter two begins by reminding us. And remember, Ruth is a Moabite. So here's what this means, that she's a foreigner. Okay, so, so chapter two, verse two is really setting up something for us. Ruth is someone who's living with a double whammy on her life, 
All right, she's got a double whammy here. She's a widow, which would have meant that she was vulnerable, which would have meant that she had, had absolutely no way to care for herself. And not only is she a widow, she's a foreigner. She has no family structure for protection and provision. So here she is, and her only partner in all of this tragedy is an old woman who's pretty much given up on life itself. Woohoo, right? It's coming up roses for Ruth. But there's this kernel of hope in Ruth's heart. No pun intended, Pastor Richard. She's, she's going to go out to the grain fields because there's this, this thing of hope in her. Notice what she says. She says, let me go to the field. This is verse two. And glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. Stop right there again. In English, that phrase sounds really, really confident. Much more confident than in the original language. Initially, when you read that in English, in in most of the versions, especially the ESV where we're reading, it sounds like she's certain that someone is going to favor her. But in the original language, and I think even in the NIV, it, it shares it this way. This is much less certain in her mind. It's much more like she's getting up and making this request of her mother-in-law. She's saying, Naomi, may, may I go down to the field and pick some grain behind anyone who might show me some favor? I mean, if anyone, if anyone in this community is willing to let me do that, do you care if I go down and give this a try? That, that's, the, that's really the tone of voice that she has. And that word favor is the word for grace. So, so she's saying, I've got a plan, Naomi. It's like she stayed up late at night. So here's how I pictured this as I was studying it. Ruth stays up late. She's like, okay, Naomi's no help at all. So I'm gonna try and rack my brain and see what we could do. So she starts to evaluate what she and Naomi bring to the table. So she's going through this list of both their strengths and their assets and, and evaluating the best plan of attack. Like, hmm, so Naomi does this, this really well. I'm gonna write that down. Uh, and with the right marketing, and the right opportunity, it just might. And, and with all the stuff that we have in the bank and, and the other things that we bring to the table, it's just crazy enough that it might work, okay? And so that's what she was doing all night. And here's the plan that she came up with, okay? You ready to hear it? You ready to hear it? Here's what she came up with when she said, let's, let's see what we bring to the table. Let's put all of our strengths and resources together. You know what she came up with? Anybody wanna know what she came up with? Okay, here's what she came up with. We've got nothing that's what she said. She's like, we are, we are in trouble here. We got nothing unless, unless someone who has something we need is willing to show us grace. You hear that? Her plan is grace. She's banking on grace. I've got nothing unless, unless someone who has something I need is willing to show me grace. Listen to me, friend. Listen to me. This is the story of us. This is us. Some of you have come here this morning and you have been internally melting down over the bankruptcy of your own life. When it comes to certain elements of your life and relationship, you've got nothing and you know it. You you feel like a foreigner 
without a home, without a place to belong, a place to feel safe and protected. You feel like a widow and you're vulnerable to all the threats in your life. You are hungry for something you want and don't have, something you need and you can't manufacture. You're hurting from the pain like Ruth and Naomi of failed relationships. When you sit down and you look at your life and you plan it all out and you think, how am I going to get from here to where I need to be? All of your plans just fall through your hands like grains of sand. You've got nothing unless, unless someone who has something you need will show you grace. And friend, this is why the gospel is good news. Grace isn't just Ruth's plan. Grace is God's plan. Do you know that? God's plan for every man, woman, child on the face of this earth, God's plan for your life is not that you would be smart enough and strong enough and sharp enough and good enough and have it all together and bring it all to the table. That's not God's plan for you. God's plan is grace. Grace is what takes hurting, hungry people and satisfies them. And here's what we see. This moment when the plan is, I've got nothing unless I get grace. This plan is the turning point in Ruth's life, in Naomi's life, in Boaz's life, in the nation of Israel, and literally for the history of the entire universe. And I'm not overstating that one bit. This moment of I need grace for God moves heaven and earth to rescue people who throw themselves down before grace. And so we're going to look at the rest of this morning, but before we move on, I just, I don't want this to be generic for us. Let's get specific. What, let me just ask you this. Where do you, now the people around you, but you, where do you need grace today? You don't have to say it out loud, just right there between you and God. Where do you need something that you don't have and you can't manufacture on your own? Where do you need grace today? When you came here today, if you could have gotten something that you can't make on your own and you can't create in your relationships and you can't save in your marriage and you can't do for your children and you can't make blossom in your heart and you can't win in your battle of sin. When you came in and that thing was in your heart, what is that thing? Where do you need grace today? And will you just even in this moment just whisper a prayer? God, I know I need grace. God, I know I need grace. God, I know if you don't show up, it won't get done. God, I know we, I know I need grace. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning. I want to show you in the life of Ruth what God does in the life of someone who knows their only hope is grace. Okay, are you ready for this? If ready or not, here I come. Maybe that's what I should have said. Ready or not, here I come. Here it is. We're going to look next week at how God uses people who've been shown grace to show grace. That's why we'll come back to Boaz. This morning, here's what I want you to see, and this is the big idea for for the remainder of our study. Here it is. God, in his great grace, is doing more than you know 
to make you more than you could ever dream. You hear that? God in his great grace is doing more than you know to make you more than you could ever dream. Does that sound good? Do you want to see where that is? I'm going to stop asking you questions. Let's just silently sit and I'll do the talking. Okay, here we go. First, here's what I want you to know. She goes out to a grain field, right? Wakes up in the morning. It's barley harvest. I'm going out to a grain field. The first thing that we see is God is doing more than she knew. She's a Moabite, not a Jew. She's not familiar with all the customs and traditions and laws of God's people. Here's what she doesn't know when she goes out to a grain field. God had already come before her. He'd given his people a law. You can write this down. Leviticus chapter chapter 19, verses 9 through 10. Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. Deuteronomy, which is spelled D-E-Uteronomy. So just put that in there. Chapter 24, verses 19 through 21. Okay, These are, this is God's law to his people. It's the part of the Bible that's really hard to read through. And so here it is, it's, it's God's law. So you may not have read, read, <laughs> That's how, we, that's how we say red in Ohio. Read it. I didn't read it. Neither did you. God commanded his people. He said, listen, there's going to be poor people among you. They're going to be widows. They're going to be orphans. They're going to be people who need something they don't have. So when you go and you, you, you harvest your field, don't go to the corners. Cut around the corner. Don't go all the way to the edges. Leave all the corners of your field. Leave all the edges of your field. Leave it all for the poor. When you go around and you harvest and get all of this grain, don't go back a second time and get what you missed. Leave what you missed for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan. God was going ahead of Ruth hundreds of years before she was ever born. And even though she wasn't even a Jew, and he's making a provision so that on the morning she wakes up and says, maybe I'll go down to the grain field. Maybe someone will show her favor. She doesn't even know it. God had already been there. He was already showing her favor. God is doing more than she knows, but there's something else here. Look at verse three. I say we get through two verses, I am topping myself. Look at verse three. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. Now, two times in three verses, we hear about Boaz. We hear he's part of the clan of Elimelech. We'll come back to that in just a minute. But there's a phrase in there. And here's the phrase. I hope you noticed it. Did you notice this phrase? I, I, no, don't answer that. Not that you would anyways. Here's the phrase. She happened to come. You guys see that there? She happened to come. That, that word literally means, that phrase literally means, by chance, she chanced upon this grain field. A modern way to say that is, as luck would have it, I mean, as, as luck would have it, she set out to go to grain field and what on earth is happening here? She doesn't know where she's going. She's never met Boaz. She's never heard of Boaz. She doesn't know what he could possibly do to care for her. And she doesn't know any of that. She just woke up hungry, went down to a grain field and as luck would have it, by chance, she happened on the field of Boaz. And what is going on here is that this author through the Holy Spirit is pointing out the fact Ruth didn't go to that field because she's had some incredibly intricate plan to woo Boaz and win his heart. Man, I'm going to look good in the grain field. 
I'm wearing my high heels. Ruth, why are you wearing high heels in the grain field? Because Boaz is here. She didn't do it. She didn't do it. She went there because she went there. Not because, oh, oh, where am I going to go? Left or right at the stop sign. Spirit's telling me right. Oh, where am I going to go now? She wasn't doing that. She just went out to a field. And it just so happened. And the scene here is not just that she so happened to go to this grain field. The little detail in that verse is there to remind us God is in control of the just so happens of our life. There's a saying that you guys have heard, the devil's in the details. You ever heard that saying? Don't give him that much credit. God is in the details. God is working in the details of our lives. There is no such thing as just so happened in the lives of God's people. Do you hear that? I am, I am about 30 seconds from going Bapticostal all over every single one of you. All right? You've been warned for the very last time, okay? Lord help me. Why did I, on, the, on the one day I don't bring a towel to wipe myself off. God's at work in the just so happens. Don't, don't romanticize what's going on here. Ruth doesn't have an intricate plan to woo Boaz's heart. She doesn't have a five-year goal for her single life. She, she doesn't have that. She's waking up and she stumbles out of bed and she asks her cranky old mother-in-law if she can get out of the tent for a while. And her plan is to go and pick up whatever the professional reapers left behind in the field and not just at any time in the nation's history, right after a famine, which meant they're gonna value every kernel of grain. There's not gonna be much left. This woman is going out looking for spare change in the mall parking lot in the middle of the Great depression right that's what she's doing and she walks out there and she just so happens into this field guys God is at work among the details and the decisions of everyday life let me give you some verses to write down I want to quote them for you Proverbs chapter 16 verse 9 listen to this Proverbs 16 verse 9 The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, the lot or the dice almost is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Daniel chapter four, verses 34 and 35. Daniel four, 34 and 35. God's dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay him or stop his hand or say to him, what have you done? Is that clear, right? And then the one we all know so well, Romans chapter eight, verse 28, we know that for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, God is causing all things to work together for their good. Listen to me, friends, listen to me. There's no such thing as just so happened in the lives of God's people. This week I spent a little bit of time, thank you brother, this, this, this week I spent a little bit of time thinking about the just so happens of my life. 
Do you know how I, I became lead pastor in this church? I know a lot of you over lunch on Sundays wonder, how did he become the lead pastor of that church? Uh, your waiters tell me what you say when they're around. Anyhow, dur- during, during our first year of marriage, Emily and I just so happened to visit her parents who were living in this community. And, and we felt stirred to move here, but we didn't know the timing of that. And so it just so happened that our first Sunday in this community was the last Sunday for a previous senior pastor, Pastor Kurt Dodd. And it just so happened that on one of our first Sundays, I was standing in line for something here and Pastor Matt Crawford was standing right in front of me and he just so happened to introduce himself and ask me about my story. I told him that I just so happened to be traveling and speaking at various youth conferences and camps and he told me that he just so happened to be serving as student pastor here and that his speaker, for an upcoming spring retreat for the youth had just so happened to cancel at the very last minute. And it just so happened, he didn't know anybody else to ask. So he spoke to me and said, would you be interested in maybe speaking and and looking at the dates and see if you're available? And it just so happened, I was. And so I spoke at that retreat and it just so happened that Pastor Byron Couture was the staff coordinator during the interim period at that time. He came to the retreat to visit his son who just so happened to be on that trip. And it just so happened that they were looking as a team to fill a few spots on the personnel, on the pastoral staff with some young guys who were looking for a little bit of ministry experience, probably because they would be easily fired when we got a real senior pastor. And it just so happened, it just so happened, I was a guy like that. And that's how I came to be on staff here. And then six years later, and about 10,000 more just so happens, I became the lead pastor. Do you realize it just so happens I'm here? And I want you to know something. Each step along the way, it didn't feel glamorous. It it, it didn't feel life-changing. It didn't feel like this series of absolute written in the sky. This is God at work. It just seemed like a whole bunch of just so happens. But looking back, it is unmistakably the hand of almighty God graciously working in the details of my life. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. The same is true for you today. The same is true for you today. God is graciously doing more than you know in your life. And he's kind and he's strong and he's loving and he's merciful. And he is at work today in your life. And what would change? What would change about how you feel today about the circumstances of your marriage, of your children, your home, your job, your work, your, your, your friendships, your hobbies, your hopes, your dreams, your plans, your failures, your disappointments, and your celebrations. What would change about how you view your life if you really really believed that a good and loving, kind God was powerfully at work doing something more than you knew for his glory and your good? How would it change you today? How would it, how would it transform? Don't just think about that generically. Think specifically. What, what did you say you need grace in? 
What did you say, God, if you would show up here? If you'd be working in that area? If you'd do something in this spot? God, I I need you and I I can't do it myself. What was that area of your life? I want to tell you something. What would it look like? What would it look like? How would you feel if you believed that Almighty God was doing something special in that area of your life? Well, here I want to tell you something. Go ahead and feel that way because he is. He's doing more than you know. God in his great grace is doing more than you know. And I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. This is why I couldn't teach the entire chapter. Now let me just go ahead and I'm going to summarize the next few verses. Boaz comes to the field. He was apparently out on business or something. He comes to the field. He sees Ruth. He learns she's the widow of one of his distant relatives. He gives her permission to not only work in the field, but he instructs his workers, hey, you watch out for her. You make sure that she's okay. He even shares this big lunch with her. She has more than enough for what she needs, so much so so that she takes a bag home with her, leftovers for Naomi. Um, And then Ruth spends the rest of the day working in that field. Now go down to verse 17. I want to show you something here. She, verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley, and and she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied, and her mother-in-law said to her, where'd you glean today? Where have you been? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Someone showed you favor today. Someone showed you favor. Blessed be that man. So then she told her mother-in-law with whom she'd worked. And she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said, Boaz? That's, you'll see, that's in the Hebrew. And just to say, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness, and I take the who's there to be referring to the Lord. May Boaz, may that God, may that God be blessed by the Lord, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi also said, that man is a close relative of ours through marriage, one of our redeemers. And that's not going to mean a whole lot to some of you today. I just want to stop right there. When, when Ruth tells Naomi about her day, I hope you saw it there. Naomi becomes a whole new person, right? It's not the same Naomi we saw last week. There's a whole new person. She blesses the kindness of Boaz and says, his kindness is because the Lord is kind to us. Naomi sees God at work in the details of Ruth's day. And then she shows us and Ruth what the Lord is doing. She says, hey, don't you know this? Boaz isn't just any old dude. He's a redeemer for us. Now, we're going to talk more about that in the next couple of weeks, but let me just give you a little bit of a, of a summary. God had made provision so that if a, a woman was married and her husband died before they were able to have a son, she would be eligible to marry another relative in that man's family. And, and here's what happened in that situation. The name of the deceased husband and his inheritance were passed on to another generation. They would, they would live on. And the woman would not be left destitute. She would be redeemed from her bar- brokenness. She'd be redeemed from her barrenness. She'd be rescued from her vulnerability. And the man who stepped in to marry that widow was called the kinsman redeemer. 
We'll talk more about this in the next couple of weeks, but Naomi lights up when she hears about Ruth's day. Not just because God brought Ruth to a really good field of grain, but because God had worked in her details of her life to bring her into relationship with a redeemer. And in her redemption, God was doing more than she knew to make her more than she could ever dream. I am going to blow the whole surprise right now, okay? I know you're just shocked, right? I'm going to tell you what you're getting for Christmas, okay? Here's the story. I am the very worst at keeping secrets of anybody. I was going to wait until the very last week of this series to do this surprise whammy. Here it is. I'm going to do it this morning. Go to chapter four. I want you to see something. Hey, if you know it, if you know the secret, uh, be quiet and don't ruin it to everybody else. It'd be terrible if the only time you spoke up this morning was to ruin the surprise, okay? <laughs> Let me do that, all right? I've worked all week on this. Look at verse 13 of chapter four. So Boaz took Ruth. Dun, 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 dun. They get married, all right? It's extravagant. Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. He went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who's not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who's more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of, who's that? Of David. You guys see this? Ruth and Boaz get married. They have a child. His name's Obed. He's the father of a a guy named Jesse. And Jesse's the father of David. Ruth is the great grandmother of the great King David. This little Moabite girl. She grew up as an enemy of God's people, which meant she would have been an enemy of God, becomes the great grandmother to the great king of Israel. This book was written sometime after David's uh, rule and reign. He may have been king at the time. It may have been after he was king. But this book is a reminder to all of the people of God that God loves and he cares for and he shows grace to people, even his enemies, even little Moabite girls who grow up as enemies of almighty God, even so that the great king isn't even fully Jewish. His great grandma was a hurting and hungry Moabite widow who just so happened to find grace in a grain field. That's not it. Go to Matthew chapter one. Go to Matthew chapter one. You know what Matthew one is? Matthew one is the genealogy of Jesus. Okay? Remember how I told you I was gonna tell you what you were getting for Christmas? I'm not joking, people. I'm working on all kinds of levels here. It'll blow your mind. (laughs) Matthew one. (laughs) Hold on, I gotta write that down for the next time I preach this. I like that. Matthew 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 5. And Salmon, some referred to him as pink, but, uh, and Sal, no, and, and Salmon, the, the father of Boaz, 
by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth and, and Obed, the father of Jesse and Jesse, the father of David, the king. You know what this is? This is the story of how God gave us Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Ruth could not have imagined she would become the great king of Israel, especially because Israel didn't even have a king when she came to Israel. But she could never have imagined that she would become the great, 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 whatever number of great grandma to the king of the universe, Jesus himself. You see what we have going on here. She wasn't just redeemed to be in David's family. She was redeemed to be in God's. You know what God's doing? To people who know their only hope is grace. I'll tell you what he's doing. He's doing more than you know to make you more than you could ever dream. The Bible says that God gave us Jesus so that he could live the perfect life that you and I haven't lived, die the death that you and I should have died as a payment for our sin on the cross and that Jesus was raised again three days later to show his power over sin and give that power to us. And the Bible says in John chapter one, verse 12, and to as many as receive Christ, to those he gives the power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe in his name. You know what happens to people who call on the name of Jesus for the grace that God gives us through Christ? God causes us to be sons and daughters of the most high God. And he leverages heaven and earth to work every single thing for his glory and our good. You need grace today? You need grace? God has it. He has immeasurable riches of grace for every person who will call on the name of Jesus. And as some of you woke up this morning, some of you came this morning and your hearts were heavy about something, your hearts were conflicted about something, and here's the deal. You just so happened to come to this church on this morning for this message. And you need to know something. There's no such thing as just so happened. God's doing more than you know. And I don't know where you come from and I don't know what your story is, but by his grace... He will make you more than you could ever dream. A child of almighty God, forgiven of all sin, created to be a saint, a holy one in Christ Jesus, redeemed not just by a man named Boaz, but by the savior of all mankind, Jesus Christ, given an eternal inheritance, kept forever as our possession in Christ Jesus. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee that you will receive all that God has purchased and promised to you in Jesus Christ. And all of it is available to those who will call on the name of Jesus Christ today. You need grace, God's got it. He's got more than enough for all that you need. And he's doing more than you know to make you more than you could ever dream. So I want us to spend a few moments in prayer over those truths. And I'm gonna ask our pastors, they're gonna come down front. And some of us are gonna sing a song to praise, but some of us are gonna wanna speak with a pastor about our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. I have been praying for this morning. I've been praying for you. I'm praying for you excited that God has been working in your life, coordinating the details that you'd be here to hear his word. And I trust he's stirring some of you to call on Christ today. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. We're gonna enter into a time of prayer and reflection. And I just wanna ask, 
Are you trusting in Jesus Christ to save you and redeem you from your brokenness and sin? Are you trusting in Jesus in a way that you're certain that you are a child of Almighty God? Right now, where you are, I encourage you, if, if, if you don't know that, would you call on Jesus to save you? Would you call on his grace, confess your need for redemption? Many of you have areas of brokenness that you run up against and you'd say, I I believe I'm a child of God. I believe that I'm born again, but I'm desperately in need of grace today. I'm stuck in this situation, that circumstance, this relationship, whatever the thing may be. Right where you are, would you just, would you call on God to show you grace? Would you ask God to stir your heart to believe that he's already at work there? that he's doing more than you know in his grace and his power. And some of you, some of you hear the story about God showing up in the details and your life is a testimony. It's a testimony of God graciously working in the just so happens. And your response is just joy and praise. Let that well up in you that God is working in the just so happens. Father, I I thank you. I thank you for Jesus doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. Thank you for your provision. All of us have found ourselves like hungry, hurting widows in the middle of a grain field and our only hope is grace. We feel barren. We feel broken. We feel hurting, we feel hungry. God, I want to praise you that you're a God of grace. Lord, I pray that no one would leave this room this morning without knowing that their relationship with you is secured by the Redeemer who is Jesus. They would trust and call on Christ to save them today. Father, I pray for those whose hearts are heavy, their shoulders are bent low by the burden of their life the situation, circumstances, they can't do anything about on their own. I pray they call on grace and not just call on grace, but believe that you're giving grace to them even when they can't see it. Even when they don't know all the places you're showing up. And Lord, I pray you'd cause our hearts to rejoice and to praise your name for the glorious work that you do for us in Jesus. Lord, we love you and we bless you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.